Good morning, neighbors and friends. Uh, today we are going to introduce you to our book, which is entitled The Trials of My Father, which is a life story of Bishop Larry James Poole Sr. I was born in January, which is one of the greatest months of the year. It is an Aquarius. People that show love and passion and design to be love and designed to show love. When I was born January the 21st, 1952, doing the area of a coming out of a great depression and entering into a new beginning. I was born to Oscar James Poole and Dorothy Rufa May Somerville Poole. As most people are children that was born didn't have a father at home or a father figure besides your grandfather because most of the time men would leave or abandon or divorce or separate themselves from their wives and therefore, I was born in Atala, Alabama, at my grandfather's home by a midwife, midwives. And they say that when I was born, I came out of my mother's womb. Uh, Singing, that's what they say now. My mother had me or gave birth to me. It was around about 7 p.m. January 21st, 1952. And my mother had been work, been working that day. My mother worked as a maid for people. Yeah, worked all that day, and then when she got home, a water broke, 
and everything, and she began to go in labor and began to process the birth of the bishop, Larry James Poole Sr. Of course, my name wasn't Bishop then, it was just Larry James Poole. And my grandfather, the midwives and everybody, the midwives got around and uh, they got some hot water and everything. All this is foretold to me by my mother. And that began the process of birth of new life coming into the world. I know that my mother was so pretty and fair-skinned and she was just sweet like most mother and I found myself by the time I turned two years old, I found myself knowing and seeing things and how life was at the age of two through the eyes of a child. And everything just seemed to me to be Lovely, beautiful, precious. But as time progresses on, we begin to have our own personalities and style, if you may say, where we become more aware of the world in which we live in. I know if we was walking down the street in a town downtown and being a little black child, I noticed how we would have to give leeway to any white person, any white person had to give leeway. So sometimes men would come by and literally just push us off the curb. Or my mother would stop us in our tracks to make sure that the white person had a clear way, of course, to go about their designated or going to that area or whatever the purpose was for them to be on the sidewalk. And I remember people spitting on 
in front of me and literally just act like I wasn't there sometime. If we went on the bus, we would always have to go directly to the back. Pay our price and directly just go on to the back of the bus. So at a young age, being black, you're already being conditioned of what your place is or what role you play in society. And of course, they always made sure that you say, yes, sir, no, sir, to anybody. You know, that didn't just go for white people. It went for anybody. They already have you uh, conditioned to say, yes, sir, no, sir and to be manable or likable. This was the training of everybody I knew that was black. Doing the episode of, of life, we often run into the problem of having a living father. So with my father being gone or absent or from me, my grandfather had to be my father. He was my father figure. My granddaddy's name is Game Henry Walter Somerville. Part Indian and part black. I grew up on Oak Street in Atala, Alabama. And there, you know, like most kids, we all played marbles and played hide and go seek, you know all of the children games that, that we used to play, you know, and and we all knew how to fish, you know, we'd go out to Wheel Creek and we would fish and sometimes 
some of the kids would get in the water and swim. So I had a pretty typical life growing up as a child. I know that most of my grandmother folks was white or they was Caucasian and black. Those all my grandmother's side of her family was real, real bright, you know, and so by saying that, I had a auntie by the name of Aunt Sally Bell. So we would go down to my Uncle Jesse and Aunt Sally Bell house in which they had a beautiful house uh, there on Charlotte, Charlotte Avenue. So I spent a lot of my time there with my Aunt Sally Bell and my Uncle Jesse. But in my grandfather's house, my grandfather was a pipe, worked at the pipe shop, and bootleg whiskey, homebrew, white whiskey, and everything like that. So I kind of grew up in a home where they would go to church on Sunday and then out the church would bootlegging time, you know, drinking and dancing and making folly and everything and everybody was happy and living that type of life, the preacher, he'll come by and eat all the best piece of the chicken. I, we used to eat out of what you call like little pans for the children. No, not my grandmother had a uh, pretty uh, channel and, and different things, you know. But we wasn't allowed to eat out of those plates or drink from those crystal glass. So they had like pans, you know, like like little, little cake pans, you know, like a pie, pie crust pan they, they had on. They was real thick, you know. They had wash them and everything like that, you know. But this, this is what most of the children had to eat from. And I remember on Sundays, oh man, Sundays was just like hallelujah or, you know, uh, for, for us, you know. And we know we're going to get that fried chicken, some of that homemade corn and 
Jesus was our regular Sunday meal, you know. That's, that's when everybody get down and uh, eat that good old soul food, you know. But I used to notice that when the preacher came, well, we never did. I never did. I never did really remember sitting at my grandmother's uh, dining 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 room. You know, or nothing like that. We mostly would go in the kitchen and. But not to the you know the fine the fine part of 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 the of the table you know we in the kitchen or either sitting on a low stoop or something or standing up at the uh, counter there and and eating and I used to I remember telling my mother I said why the preacher get all the good meat, all of the grown folk got what you call the leg, the thigh, the breast. <laughs> and a lot of times we just got the little winglets. And when I say winglet, I'm talking about the little old flat part. Most of the time, that's what we'll get. We got lucky we got a leg and a thigh, but you wouldn't worry about getting there when the preacher come because he gonna eat up everything. Then he gonna pack him a lunch and everything else. That was when preachers used to go to their church member houses uh, to eat. You know, most of the time the preacher he didn't live in a tower, you know. But it was just a custom that the preacher come by your house and sit down and eat and everything. To me, back then, it gave you a better view or a better outlook on the man of God and his flock. How he would intermingle with his flock the trials of my father. But this is how we grew up during my day and in my grandfather's house. Preacher would come and drink him some old home brew. Get a old shot of whiskey and eat, drink, and be mad. And my grandfather was real strict. He wasn't mean, but he was strict about chores, about us doing what we supposed to do around the house might be raking up under the house because back then uh, it wasn't required for you to have your whole blocks of uh, surrounding your house. So a lot of the a lot of the houses was on pillows. You know, you had a pillar here, 
pill on the right, and maybe a pill in the middle, and then a pill on each end. You know, all depends on on how big the house is. Where you can, they just had pillows, and you could see up under the house, you know, and uh, you had to keep that right, you know. You couldn't just let junk accumulate and all up under your house. It was great, great, like, like, uh, sometimes the, up under the house was so clean, you know. But that's the way we were raised. Raised to work. Raised to plow. Raised to grow a garden and raised to slop the hogs, uh, milk the cow, and build the fence, whatever, whatever, you know, that needed to be done. But that's the way my grandfather and grandmother and my mother, along with her sisters, uh, raised us, you know. Then all of us at one time was in my grandfather's house and my grandfather had six girls and one boy which is my uncle Billy one Billy Brooks named after Billy Brooks named after my uncle Billy so all of us grew up there in my granddaddy's house, all except for my Aunt Betty Rowe. Aunt Betty Rowe had got married to, uh, to, uh, her husband, Mr. Brooks. And she had, uh, children, you know, and everything on there, my grandfather gave her the lot and then helped, helped them build a house right next to him. So he was good about that, and then, you know, and then we slaughtered a hog, you know, and we learned how to cook off skin and how to slaughter a hog and hang him up on 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 a with his hind legs and had wire wrapped around his leg and took a whole pipe, took it down in and 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 then we split him down the belly and then began to pull out the guts and everything and cut off the the skin and Throw it in a black pot, real hot, from the giddy up, you know. And you throw that that skin in there, and it comes up just like a pork skin. It'll come out fried and grease hot, you know, and everything. Boy, I tell you, crackling, you had yourself a ball back then. I remember we used to take old chicken out there and rang his neck, you know, we, we uh, just be wringing the chicken neck, and then when he rang the chicken neck, he 
he let him go real quick and he just be running around in circle, running into everything. And, and that was amusement for us, you know. We said, man, look at that chicken. That's what they got. Running around like a chicken with his neck cut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, what we had, what I called a wonderful time. Growing up, because everybody was in the house. Everybody, their mamas and, and their children and everybody else, we, we in one big house. That's the way we grew up, you know. We took care of one another, love one another, and cherish one another back then. And we we go to church. We was members of the uh, Methodist Church upon third, upon third, third or first. I think it was. I think it was first. No, it was up off a of third, off a of third street there in a and. We would go to church and listen to the preaching, have a good time, you know. Singing and everything. Everybody on Sunday, you know, they got on the um, white, you know, white was the thing. White was the thing. White apparel was the thing. You know, what everybody just about wore white. Uh, you might have black and white, you know, a white shirt and black pair of pants or something. You know, that's your Sunday go meeting clothes. But we would go and we'd have a good time, you know, all the way. Till until I turned five years old, I lived it with my grandfather and grandmother, along with my mother and her sisters and everything. We used to have a big tree, we used to call it the, 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 uh, a cherry tree, and I remember Julia Ann, she got, we was climbing up the tree and she slipped and fell in a, she was hanging up there with a armpit where the wood had penetrated her up on her armpit and she was just hanging there, bleeding and howling. And how everybody gathered down and everything, and how they doctored on her. You know, back then you didn't go to the doctor's or hospital, you know, for everything and anything. They put some uh, iodine, betadine. All right, burnt, you know, alcohol or whatever they bought it up, you know, and everything, and wrap it up, wrap it up. No, there wasn't a whole bunch of stitches unless, you know, it was required. But, you know, she didn't require no stitches or anything, so my granddad and them just wrapped it up, banded it up, and... and and made everything well. So, we kind of grew up learning homemade remedies and 
and take uh, snuff and uh, tobacco or uh, chewing tobacco and you could uh, chew it or uh, take the snuff and uh, put the snuff on, on it or either take the chewing tobacco and lay it up on it. It's going to take out the infection and, and take, take some of the pain away, you know. So we didn't spend a lot of time in doctor's offices, you know. But I know my grandfather never, never had to punish me or whoop me or anything like that. That was always left up to my mom and to her sisters and, you know, they did most of the discipline. But growing up in a bootlegging house, bootlegger house, I inquired a taste for alcohol. And usually they'll let you come in there and get uh, them little quarter quarter shots, what they used to get in them little jaws, you know. You had to go in there and get them, get them up, you know, take them to the back and and everything like that. And boy, they left, left a cone in there. I was hitting it now. I'm just telling you. This went on for a pretty good while, you know. A little bit here and a little bit there. <laughs> Well, I grew old and, and was around it, and I used to go back there and steal my granddaddy homebrew, get the homebrew and everything. And one particular day, I think, uh, Gloria Jean White, Mildred White, uh, Ganey B, and uh, all of us was out there, you know, Playing and everything, and I don't fooled around and got drunk. I mean, I'm just about four, about four years old. I don't fooled around and got drunk. Saved, but they 
wasn't sanctified, you know. They gave their life to God and everything, but, you know, they had so many things that they said was a sin uh, until folk were saved on Sunday and the rest of the week. They unsaved, you know, according to the rules and the regulations of of church, you know, what they call so. They got married, so when they got married, uh, me, my mother, and my brother Walter, Walter Mack, Somerville, so we moved up on Billy Goat. Billy Goat Hill there, up there off of uh, White Road and up there behind what what is the uh uh gas and technical institute which is now the I think it's a facility for children that's having problems and wanting to have a career. Job court job court anyway we stay back and behind there up on the hill there with my grandmother, Miss Fanny Bell, Miss Bessie, and my uncle Eddie. Uh, we lived there, and my uncle Earl and them. They lived up up over up over the up on my Irwin Avenue. That's where they lived there. So we came to Gaston and. We was going to Macedonia up on Billy Go Hill. They call it Billy Go Hill too uh, up there. And we practically doing the same thing, you know. Only my aunt, my grandmother wasn't a bootlegger, so it was a different environment, different type of style, but house full of folk, black folk back then, uh, stayed with their mother, you know, till they got married or got a family or whatever, and, and move on or to purchase their own home. I guess we stayed there about a, a year or two. Because I remember going to school down at uh, Central Elementary. And I would ride most of the time with Miss Vaughn and, uh, and, and Charles would ride to school, you know. Uh, so the community was like a lot more supported of taking care of one another. So that's how I, I grew up uh, with people being concerned and people having care. Of course, you had to pay them something, you know. Sometimes if you don't, didn't have it, they, they would, you know, 
going along with you. Or maybe your mom may wash a load of clothes. Or maybe somebody in the household may chop a cork of wood. Or, or whatever, whatever, whatever. In order to show your appreciation of of trying to be responsible towards others that have contributed to you. And I think that you can tell the difference in children that were raised in my day than you can in children that is raised today. So we were taught responsibility from the cradle to the grave. We were taught, taught to be responsible, taught to be self-sustaining, you know, hanging up your clothes, picking up your shoes, or cutting wood for the fireplace and getting the coal in for the fireplace or uh, building a fire upon the black pots for, for when it's time to wash clothes. Talking about the trials of my father. And we just knew that we had to be responsible, not only for ourselves, but for our mothers, our fathers, our grandmamas, our great, great, great aunties, and everybody, you know, everybody back then had, you had to respect them. If they ask you to do something, you get right on up and do it. No, I wasn't allowed to bite my, you know, wall my eyes or look at you like you're crazy and say small stuff out your mouth. I wasn't raised like that. Never say, I ain't going to do nothing, huh? <laughs> no, wasn't raised like that. Well, take whatever they had. They had a stick in their hand. They bust you with it. They had one of them switching, old platter switching, boy, they going to tie you up. Fearing now, they don't, don't care what they do, what they say, how they act, or whatever. Round grown folk. All up in grown folks' faces. <laughs> For the grown folks to say something and already took over the whole conversation. We went, I don't know. I wasn't allowed to do that. When grown folks talk, I got up out the room. That's what they told you. Get on up out of here. You're in here far. But we didn't know. Nothing about Mr. Charlie, Miss Sally. 
but as we grew older, my father and my mother, this my mother was high spirit. My mother was a high spirited, proud black woman. And she wanted to have a house. So she went down to the long company and inquired about purchasing a house. My mother did. Then my mother took my father's body out for him to sign. We were working at the steel plant, I think the name of that company was Liberty Loan or something like that she had went to to inquire about purchasing a house. So we moved uh, from Bidigo Hill over to 16 Hillier Street. I was about seven years old, six or seven, just had turned six. Or sell, and me and my brother, we had to sleep in the same room, and it was two bedroom, living room, dining room, kitchen, and bathroom, shower area, you know, take a bath or whatever. But I do remember uh, having the bays on the front porch there uh, when we stayed up there with my grandmama, uh, Miss Fanny Bell. <laughs> uh, they had the uh, tub, you know, had a big tub, then they had a little round tub, then they had another tub, you know, for different sized people, you know. But me and my brother used to bathe together, and, you know, and everything. Our mama clean us up and everything. But that's the way things were back then, you know. So we progressed and moved on Hillier Street where we had a closed-in uh, restroom and everything, you know, because in the other place we had what you call outhouse, you know. So we progressed, you know, moving on up in society, I guess, you know. Then I found myself uh, one day out on a dirt road, see, well, road wasn't uh, paid. We had a dust, dirt road there. And we would run up and down the street, you know, racing ourselves, you know. But we didn't have to have on shoes every day. Our feet was kind of rough, you know, from walking on the gravel road, you know. So your feet get tough, you know, and 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 get kind of rugged. 
what you call a missile sneeze stole and then you had uh all pay and save, you had a bunch of businesses all down Tuscaloosa then, you know. So you had a variety of stores that you could go in because Tuscaloosa was a business area. Business. All kind of businesses down there on Tuscaloosa Avenue. Of course, when we first moved to that side of town, it was a lot of white folks uh, lived on all those streets. But when we started moving in, they started moving out. They started moving out. Those that could afford to move out, but it seemed like all of them over the course of years uh, got up out of there, you know. So it was a black community. And there we realized very quickly that we had to be our brother's keeper that we had to be a village, how people would look out for you, look out for your house, look out for your children, and make sure that we did the thing that was proper for children to do. I'm not saying that we was goody-goody two-shoe come in. Jose guy, we done went down the pan and say, stole us a watermelon. Yeah. Then he get home good with the watermelon. Phone ringing and folks <laughs> telling on you. And then they'll whoop you, then call your mama, your mama whoop you, then you gotta wait on your daddy to come in. He gonna whoop you too. You know, so discipline was wasn't held back. You know, you gonna get gonna get a woman and those that parents wasn't like that. They children would wind up at formatory school or not go to school or wind up getting cut, shot. When parents don't discipline their children, it calls for other people to disciplinary them and all the time a disciplinary is not fair. I have seen men and women literally beat their children up with their fist. Most of those children wind up being just like their mama and dad, and that's the way they raise their children. But being black and gas in Alabama, 
Abraham was a hard thing. A real hard thing. The best thing that we had in which was the church. So there you could find liberty. There people are going to be on their best behavior. There people help and try to teach you how to be black and proud and have dignity, have character. Now they taught us all that in church, see, because we had to get it in church. Of course, our schools was fine with me because got us out of the house and on a playground and everything like that. But, you know, kids is cool. And for me, it was rough because I had a bald head. My mama used to put ink on my head. Uh, it was rough on me being different than most of the children. Because you could tell the difference in how folk treated you too as a child. They would say that one child is beautiful and laugh at you because you were different. People could be so cruel, and it causes me to have a attitude, an attitude that wasn't healthy for a child. But I remember in the first grade, my teacher was my grandmother's cousin, and her name was Miss Jenkins. She taught the first grade out at Central Elementary. That gave me a pretty good respect of not being so built up with hate and malice and feeling belittled because my cousin would show me up some love, you know. Of course, I moved up to the second grade. I had, uh, what was her name, Miss English, England? But anyway, I sure enough remember the third grade. I had Miss Mildred Lay. Miss Mildred Lay. And 
people would, would I'm like a, a walking sign for somebody to mellow with or somebody to pick with or for somebody to talk about. But at church, I found a relief because I could sing. That made me feel important. Made me feel as though I was accepted. You know, being accepted is a powerful, powerful thing that people, some people do anything just to be accepted for somebody to like them or for somebody to say that they your friend or they your partner, you know, and with me, it was very important because I always felt rejected because of the of those spots in my head and, and, and the ink and everything and our children would talk about me, laugh at me and and I needed something. I needed something. You know, I know people say, no, your mom and daddy love you, it's going to be all right. But but a child, an individual, a person need more than that. Need more than that. You want your classmate, your friends, or your associate to like you. I had only a few friends growing up. Remember, I used to try to buy friends. And try to buy them. And sometimes, uh, a lot of things I got into was just to be able to have a friend, fighting, fought all my life, fighting something all my life, all my life. Glad to grow up upon this type of pressure. Upon this type of environment, so I got so mean and hateful till I got the third grade, and Miss Mildred Lay heard me sing, and she said, "You have to represent our class." Oh, you talking about somebody felt so good. Felt so good just to be needed or to feel wanted. And to have a relationship and friends 
you because you can sing. And I know how it is for a lot of kids. You know, different type of trials they have to go through, man. They trying to be light and trying to get along and I actually used to sometimes make bad grades just so all the kids wouldn't get jealous. That's something, isn't it? We go through all those type of things, wanting to be accepted. I know I did. Cried a many a day because I was different. Because I had this condition. Cried a lot of day. And fought just about every day. With someone until Miss Mildred Lay recognized that Miss Allison, who was my second grade teacher. And I guess Miss Allison, I used to you saying my country tears a D, you know, and I kinda stand out because that what I that I would get noticed, you know. And hoping that people would like me and accept me. But, you know, you, you find a lot of rejection uh, even as a child. Find it from old folk. Find it with children. And you especially find it with girls. Or if somebody want to crack a joke. They want to use you as the joke. So I, I just fight, you know, just bust them upside the head. Well, I grew up with a lot of anger in me. Time progressing on, I'm in the fourth grade. I got Miss Montgomery. She's real pretty. She's light-skinned and she's real pretty. Real pretty lady with with uh that that Hawaiian I used to call it Hawaiian hair. She got that Hawaiian hair. Had Miss Edwards, you know. All these people were great people and they was inspired, you know, they was very inspired.